This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. In the first quarter of 2017, consumer debt rose to $12.73 trillion. That is more debt than at the height of the credit bubble in 2008. Student loan debt makes up about 10% of that. But an interesting finding by researchers at Dartmouth and the University of Southern California, it shows that while the amount of debt is increasing, what is being used, what is being used on, I should say, is different. More and more people are spending on experiences rather than just stuff. Isha Sharma and Stephanie Tully are the researchers on this study. Isha is an associate professor of business administration at Dartmouth College. Stephanie is an associate professor of marketing at the University of Southern California, and they just happen to be in Philadelphia, which is a great opportunity to talk to them about their research. Isha, Stephanie, welcome into our studios. Thanks for coming in. Thanks so much for having us. So I guess let's start with the research itself. Take us in a little bit deeper as to what you were trying to go after. Isha? Sure. So as you mentioned, consumer debt levels have been increasing, and Stephanie and I were really interested in understanding what is contributing to why people are taking on more and more debt. And we had known some about different characteristics of individuals, like their age and their income that Mm -hmm. might contribute to debt, things about the debt form, maybe the interest rates, terms of the loans. But we didn't know as much about characteristics of the underlying purchase that might contribute to people's borrowing. So that was really what motivated us to study this question. Stephanie? And yeah, just to build on that a little bit, um, you know, one of the, I think, interesting pieces of this is that, you know, people still spend a lot of discretionary money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we, we were looking at kind of the juxtaposition of um, the fact that the average American household spends, I, I believe, it's something like seven to $10,000 on discretionary um, purchases every year. Right. Um, and yet they the average American household also has credit card spending, suggesting that at least some of the discretionary purchases, the unnecessary purchases that we make, um, are being funded with debt. And, and that in particular is what interested us because it's not just that, yes, I, I need to buy a home or I need to buy a car and I can't afford it outright, but rather um, there seem to be purchases that we don't need to make, uh, mm. but that we're still willing to use debt to fund. Well, for, for quite some time, th- that decision process uh, of making that purchase was really on uh, you know what you needed and what you could get out of it in terms of length of period of time, okay? If I'm going to buy a car, I expect to have it for six, seven years, whatever it may be. So if I want to have it for 10 years, whatever it might be. So there's still a little bit of that out there, but it's not necessarily all that, whereas people are going for these experiences, correct? Yeah, and what's really interesting um, is, you know, we, we kind of looked at kind of different cir- circumstances under which people borrow, um, and there are circumstances under which people are more likely to borrow for couches um, and long-term types of purchases, specifically because they believe that they're going to continue to get utility from them over time, and so they yeah. want to pay from them over time. Um, but there's another reason why people borrow and another driver of debt uh, decisions, and, and that's what we really were interested in investigating and which seems to be more, um, you know, more common than this propensity to go into debt for more long lasting discretionary purchases. So this is a mindset change by people to a degree, is it? So I think just to build on what Stephanie was saying is that when people typically borrow, it's because they don't have the funds outright to make a purchase. So when they're deciding whether or not to borrow, it's the decision between 
being able to acquire that purchase with debt or foregoing that purchase in the present. And that's one particular debt context, context that is different from, you know, I have these couple purchases that I could borrow. I have money on, on hand and I could also borrow with debt. This is more of a source of funding decision. And in the prior context, when people were looking at what drives people to borrow, it was a specific situation where they thought, okay, I would like to make a couple purchases, maybe furniture, maybe a vacation, and which of these do I fund with cash? Which of them do I fund with debt? Mm -hmm. And so in that situation, it sort of follows that conventional wisdom. Why don't I take out the loan for the more practical thing? And as I'm going to be paying for this purchase, I'm also receiving benefits. Right. And what we're finding is actually most people, when they decide to borrow, it's not a source of funding decision. It's, well, do I want to forego this purchase or should I use debt to use it? And when that's the case, experiences, ones that you might not be able to get this, you might not feel like you can get the same purchase later, are more attractive to borrow for. Yeah. And, and so with the source of funding decision, you know, what we're really talking about is you might have the money in your savings account. Right. But you go into the store and somebody says, you know, you can finance this for a low monthly payment. Right. You know, are you interested in doing this? And right. you go, do I really want to use my savings or would I rather just do the financing thing? I've got this cushion. I can use it for other things and I'll, I'll pay this off as I'm using it. Right. right? Um, and, and that does happen. That still happens. Yeah. Um, but what happens more commonly and, and what we end up seeing in terms of, you know, more peer to peer loans and, and more credit cards is that, you know, there, there are these experiences may, Maybe it's your wedding. Uh, maybe it's a concert that it just you can't postpone it. Right. And so you say, yeah, I'm willing to go into debt. I don't want to miss this music festival. Yeah, there might be a music festival next year, but that's not the same music festival as the music festival this year. And so I'm willing to go into debt so that I don't have to forego this opportunity. Well, and, and there's also the just the view of what the experience is and what it could really mean for that person. I mean, a lot of people have thought for years that, you know, you go to a concert, you go to, you know, Niagara Falls, whatever it might be, and you have that experience and it's pretty much done and over with once that experience is done. It's not necessarily the case anymore. People, you know, they hang on to that experience and they talk about it for a couple of years after the fact. I mean, it's it's a personal it's a it's a personal uh, it's a personal gain for some of these people. There there is an element of experiences that does persist. Um, and there is certainly research suggesting that experiences can make us happier in the long run. Um, right. This research actually looks at that consideration and we find that it's not driven by these perceptions okay. of the long lasting nature of experiences. Okay. Um, so people aren't doing this because they actually believe that they'll get long lasting happiness from them and so right. they don't mind paying for them later. It's, it's really more of a uh, short term focus on not missing out on that opportunity to make that purchase. So we, we do try to disentangle that in okay. our research and we do um, show that that's not what's driving this, although that is an obvious implication of it. Sure, Nisha? Yeah, so what's really interesting about this is that you mentioned what kind of uh, psychological process is contributing to this effect. And what's interesting about experiences is that they, especially compared to material purchases, 
when you think about them, you have a consumption occasion in mind. Mm -hmm. And then as you begin, you begin to think about this experience more and more, you think about the time, you think about the place, and the experience gets conceptualized by these contextual factors that make it really challenging to say, okay, I can let go, I can pass this up. Right. And so we were able to find that this isn't necessarily about an experience or a tangible good per se, but it's about the planned consumption and what that does to you in terms of feeling that I can't pass this up. Right. So even if you were to take something like an outdoor grill and imagine, oh, Owning it, and this is the motivation for purchasing material goods as we talk about them in the literature, owning it and retaining it, versus this is an outdoor grill that I'm going to have an experience with on the 4th of July, perhaps. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you start conceptualizing it in a more experiential way, and it changes your you know, desire or aversion rather to passing uh, to you know passing up that opportunity right because unfortunately probably a lot of people don't see buying a sofa as an experience uh, unfortunately <laughs> it's not it, that's not the nature of certainly of these items but obviously it, it does go to kind of the the thought process the mind of how people kind of process a lot of these decisions correct right although our, our research would suggest that to the extent that you think about the Super Bowl party that you will throw while you're sitting on your new couch you'll actually become more likely to go into debt for that new couch. It's amazing. 844 <laughs> Wharton is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866. It's interesting you say that because I remember a few years ago, at least here in Philadelphia, uh, where the football team made it to the Super Bowl, and you had people that were taking out second mortgages on their homes so that they could buy tickets because, you know, the team had never had never been to the Super Bowl. You had people taking out second mortgages on their homes so they could buy tickets so they could Absolutely. go to games like this. It's, it's incredible, but it, I think it does happen all the time. In fact, uh, a recent survey uh, from another company showed that one in five Americans um, are going into debt for their summer vacations this year. Wow. So is it the expectation that this is a trend that is going to continue? I mean, obviously, as debt levels continue to rise, I mean, I would think that we probably are going to see this continue. I think there's a, a so I, I think that there's a state uh, or a prevalent mindset in terms of just why we go into debt. But I do think that there could be a, a number of factors contributing to an increase in this um, effect playing out in the real world. Um, so one of those uh, factors is related to um, some other research that I've done um, looking at why people buy experiences versus material goods. Um, and I find that financial constraints actually impact um, our decisions between these different things and that uh, financial constraints actually make people more likely to buy material goods. They become more focused on how long lasting the sure. utility is going to be from these things. Um, and so to the extent that America and and developing nations are becoming wealthier and financial constraints are lessening, um, I do think that there is uh, a trend. Um, and we do see this just in aggregate data over the last 50 years in America. We've become largely a service economy. So to the extent that right. we're buying more experiences, we're going to go into debt for more experiences. Um, the other piece of this is that I think that there are some more opportunities to fund um, purchases with debt now that weren't available before. Um, so, you know, the abundance of credit cards now sure. um, that 
wasn't available before. You know, there you you couldn't go to a, a concert and tell them you'll pay them later, right. right? So before credit cards were readily available and that people had this credit, um, I don't think that there was as many opportunities. Peer-to-peer loans is another place that we looked because you can fund purchases with both types and we hmm. find greater um, instances of experiences being funded um, with peer-to-peer loans. Really? Yes. And what's what's fascinating about that, too, is that if we look at the data, not only are there more instances of peer-to-peer loans, but p- people are paying more for them. They actually yeah. have a higher interest rate. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Yeah. So I think that that's just that's those are these opportunities, you know, that weren't there originally. So I think that's why this this trend might be more pronounced now than it may have been 50 years but ago. As you mentioned before, uh, Isha, the, the prevalence of the offers that, that people are thrown at, uh, you know, the the offer to be able to, you know, pay something down over 48 months instead of having to pay for it right up front. I, I mean, the prevalence of the numbers of those types of offers you know, do make it unbelievably easier for the consumer to just say, hey, listen, I, you know, I, I have no problems putting my summer vacation on a credit card. And, that you know, that's that is a little bit of a different mindset from from years ago. But again, the the, the availability of this credit is just something that is growing, you know, continues to grow right now. Right. You're absolutely right. And also, I think businesses, whether they're conscious of this pattern or not, do, you know, there is this seeming trend that even businesses are focusing on the experiential aspects of goods and, you know, experiences are popular. uh, But to the extent that we have both, you know, this confluence of having more funding opportunities for experiences as well as businesses talking about how this is really experiential, um, it it might suggest an increase in this trend. We don't know, but it, it suggests that it's possible. Stephanie? Yeah, and and I would also say that we do also um, have a a study that we looked at just showing that this propensity uh, to spend on experiences extends to not just debt, but uh, price elasticity. So we're less willing to wait till something goes on sale and and more likely to just pay, you know, a surcharge or whatever it might be in order to get it as well. So it's not just a a debt phenomenon. Can you take this data and kind of extrapolate it out in terms of what this is going to mean for the the companies that are providing these options for you know for people i mean the the travel industry you, you know how this is going to impact these these industries going forward i mean especially if the consumer is more willing to as i said be able to put this on a credit card i mean it it has a it has a potential for the industries themselves to have you know quite a bit of a different set of data and and different success levels in the years to come yeah, I definitely think this suggests that there that that travel companies and and, and companies that offer experiences um, could benefit by by providing opportunities to finance purchases directly through them. Especially if people are willing to put it on a credit card with seventeen percent interest rates, right? Yeah. Um, they could be doing this at a at a slightly lower interest rate, but making money off of it. I think that that's certainly a revenue stream that that could be considered um, for these types of of businesses. On the consumer side, it's it's you know not clear to us whether or not this is beneficial for for consumers and whether they should be doing this. We can't make any sort of normative statements about, you know, maybe maybe the people are happier when they do this um, and maybe they come to regret it. We don't have any data on that yet. Aisha? 
And this is interesting to consider in light of some of Stephanie's other work that suggests that these effects, this greater willingness to borrow for experiences, would be attenuated to the extent that people feel financially constrained. So it would be really interesting to observe what actually ends up happening, because we don't exactly know right now. You know, to the extent that people are more excited by experiences, companies are promoting products and services as being more experiential. There's right. greater opportunity. And but at the same time, people are spending more with these greater interest rates. So it'd be interesting to see what is actually happening with the at the intersection of there being more opportunity versus potentially they're going into greater debt. And so to what extent are these two forces going against each other? And how, how does that equilibrium end up, you know, playing out? Well, and also just the, the, the recognition by the consumer about the higher interest rate and, and the impact that that would potentially have on them over a not only just the 48 month period that maybe the loan is out on, but, you know, a couple of years after that. Right. And I think from a consumer protection standpoint, I do think it's worthwhile for consumers to be aware of this because I think lay wisdom might suggest and the academic literature as well had suggested that people would be more willing to borrow for material goods. So I think this is a tor the type of finding where consumers may not readily know about their susceptibility to doing this. And so right. the fact that they might be doing something they might not be aware of and it might be costing them more than they may think it's costing them right. is is worthwhile to be aware of. Stephanie. Yeah, and, and and to the extent that these are are more likely to have, you know, it's more likely to happen with credit cards than um, through a, a business or a company, um, I think makes it harder for consumers to recognize their susceptibility because you get a, a bill at the end of the day that's an aggregate bill of all of your spending and some right. of it gets carried over, but you don't necessarily recognize that that balance is a function of the concert you went to because you also bought a lot of other things during the course of the month. Whereas, right. Right. you know, with, with a furniture that you buy and you're paying at the furniture store, you're very, you're very aware of the fact that that debt is attached to the furniture set that you bought. And so I think the susceptibility to recognize it may be um, somewhat limited because of the types of debt in particular that consumers are using to fund um, experiences. We're joined here in studio by Isha Sharma of uh, Dartmouth, Stephanie Tully of the University of Southern California. We're talking about their research on uh, consumer debt and people more willing to spend on experiences. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Or if you'd like, if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Again, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I mean, this is not directly linked to the research, but I'd be interested to just get your opinions on it. I mean, as I mentioned at the top, we're seeing more and more debt kind of piled on right now. Obviously, people kind of paired it off, you know, in the wake of the recession. But we're seeing more and more of that debt piled on at this point. What does this, do you think, means for the debt servicers, for those companies as well? Because, I mean, they're they're looking at, obviously, a, a very profitable time right now and going forward as well. It's only profitable to the extent that people pay it back, but I, I True, agree with you. Right. I definitely agree with you, um, and and I do think that this is a, a good time for them. Um, but the question is, you know, whether it's sustainable in the long run. Isha, and uh, you know, a, a project that Steph and I have been thinking about for a very long time, a related project, is that 
as people begin to borrow more and more, the implications of these different types of borrowing or borrowing forms will start to get a lot more important. And understanding the psychology behind how people view different ways of financing will be critical for organizations to understand. We sort of assume that greater access to financing will impact consumers in the same way, but that's you know, a potentially erroneous assumption. So understanding the psychology around these different debt forms will be critical and is something that we're currently working on. The problem, though, I see is because, as you mentioned before, uh, as the economy has gotten better over the last few years and people have more and more money in their pocket, the discretionary, people have more and more of this feeling of freedom that they can do this, which kind of is that, you know, it, it gets them into that trap potentially. Yeah, it's it's a super fascinating area. And the bulk of my research really centers on this idea of consumer financial well-being, which is sub- subjective. And it's a function of not just people's objective income, but their access to financing and how right. well they think they're doing relative to their peers or their past. And it's, it's really fascinating to see how that plays out in their consumption decisions. Again, the phone number is 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If you'd like to join in, ask a question of our guest. Matt is in Denver, Colorado. Matt, go ahead. Yeah, sure. I just want to call and kind of confirm with you guys about the uh, willingness that millennials are to uh, spend on these experiences. These are very important to us. Um, Winter, summer, fall, uh, we will borrow from friends and family to make it happen. This is a big part of our life you know uh it used to be a a nice tv set or the front lawn looked good or something like that but right now it's that snapchat experience it's that post on instagram it's those exciting moments that we live for so experiences are uh coming very quickly and i I think it's a, a thriving market up ahead so well, he brings up an interesting point with the with the social media component to it, and obviously the connection that people have with your friends and family about, hey, you know, do you see my trip? I went to Greece, or hey, I right. went to, you know, wherever it is, that connection kind of just draws people in e- even further on this. Yeah, and, and you're always seeing what somebody else is doing, and so it's, a, it's right. a constant reminder of the fact that there are other opportunities for experiences out there, right? Um, they're not, you know, in some sense, it should also remind you that, Look, if you don't go to the one this week, there there will be one next week, and there'll right. be other opportunities a month from now. But that doesn't seem to be the way that consumers view these, right? Rather than recognizing the abundance of ways and the abundance of abundances of experiences that are available to us uh, on a regular basis these days, yeah. we instead look at it that we want to be a part of every single one of them, um, and we don't want to be missing out on any of them. Aisha. I agree. And, you know, I think this comment is a perfect example of exactly what we're talking about. It becomes part of that experience and that opportunity in people's lives that are really difficult to pass up. Well, I will say from a firsthand experience as a new homeowner, bought myself a grill about a week and a half ago. It was Congratulations. Not, thank you. It was nice. But I'm taking my kids to a soccer match in North Jersey in a week going to see an English Premier League team coming over and play, and that's an experience that I did not want to miss out for myself or my kids, so I fall right into this category. (laughs) I'm not a millennial, but I fall right into this category of the experience being 
as important, if not more important, than the stuff itself. Yeah, and 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 you know, while the color brings up the fact that this is very true of millennials, um, I should point out we actually don't see any differences across age in our in our data. Okay. Um, so it, it seems to be just as pronounced among um, older generations as younger generations. Did you have an expectation that there would be a difference because of millennials? We thought it was certainly possible. We certainly thought it was possible. Right. Um, and so, we, you know, we wanted to make sure that this wasn't simply a millennial effect um, right. of, of different, you know, values that, that come from different generations or something like that. Right. Um, we also thought it was possible it would just be more pronounced among okay. millennials. Right. Um, but we, we didn't find any consistent evidence for that. And again, going back to the point about how important it is for consumers to be aware of things like this, I've I found in just casual discussions with people, uh, people who are older rather than younger tend to be more skeptical that this is a thing, especially something that maybe other people do, but not not them. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think that to the extent that experiences seem and are more exciting and valuable to younger people rather than older people, there maybe younger people can say, oh, yeah, I can see myself doing that. And, yeah. and older people might say, no, I would never do that. But we didn't find that it was specific to a certain cohort uh, yeah so I the think- other the other thing is that you know it, it i mean we we didn't actually you know we don't know if there's any non-linear patterns or things like that but you can also imagine that as as consumers get older and they have their house and they have their furniture and they have the things right. that they need yeah. um that then yeah. this can happen again um but not because they don't care about those things but because they already have those things sure, right yeah. and we can't differentiate between that all we can say is that you know the the seeming willingness to to go into debt for experiences doesn't seem to be age specific especially if you're a little bit older and you've taken care of all the costs with the sofas and right, the cars exactly. and all that stuff you have all this free credit to be able to go hey you know let's go to paris for the weekend and, and do that type of stuff great meeting you both thanks for coming in great Thank you so much that you're having us. here in philadelphia uh isha sharma stephanie tully joining us here in studio for more insight from knowledge at wharton please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu 